0: Our congregational meeting is coming up on September 27th, and there are uh, finance documents um, that we can get you a physical copy of. Um, We will also be sending that out via email. If you want any more information, just contact uh, Pastor Ademi or uh, Jay Smith. And with that, please stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from John 1. beginning in verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of God or were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth John bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's sing praises to our glorious King who condescended to to us to save us from our sins. Rumors of the Son of Man. Rumors of the Son of Man. Stories of a Savior. Holiness with human hands. Treasure for the traitor. No ear is heard, no eye is seen. of the Father until heaven came to live with me a rescue like no other lift your voices voices. cause you are
1: You life out to the ground. You redefined my future. Yeah, on the day that you arose, the darkness ran for cover. For the King of Kings has claimed His throne.
0: and he took our place and he paid the debt for all of our sins.
1: Spots, and now the heart of stone. Hang it out, Jesus. It white as snow. said Sin, Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white he washed it. he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as
0: snow. White as snow. your voices. And oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life
1: God, oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. No praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, oh, the- Take glass the of
2: Let's go to the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the God of truth. We thank you, Lord, because this truth uh, comes to us from above. It does not come to us from another person. It doesn't come from within ourselves. But this truth you have proclaimed loudly and boldly through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, was not only declared to us that we need to be saved from our sin, but also made it possible for us to be saved from our sins through his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Lord, because we are saved by the truth of the gospel. Father, we pray. We pray for our church. Father, we pray that you would protect your church from false truths, from false gospels, from different ideologies and philosophies that are in the world right now, that we would not be held captive by such things, but help us to stand in the truth. Your word is truth. Help us to never say to ourselves, to never get to a point where we say that we have learned the truth, that we have mastered the truth, that we understand the truth. But may we always humble ourselves to continue to go back to the truth and reflect upon the truth, to study the truth, and to be, for ourselves to be mastered by the truth. Father, we pray for those in our church who are, who are struggling, who are suffering emotionally, physically, or mentally. Lord, we pray for all those who who, for whatever reasons, are just going through a dry season in their Christian walk, where there just isn't a zeal or a fire and energy, is just lacking for whatever reason. Father, we pray that you may remind your people of the truth of the gospel, and that you will reignite a flame in their hearts through the gospel, that no matter what is happening inside or on the outside, Father, that they may rest in the truth of the gospel, the hope that comes from the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be a church that stands on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for uh, our dear sister Reshma, who is in seminary and preparing uh, to be equipped and sent out as a missionary. Father, we pray that you may be with her and guide her and protect her. We pray that, that she would continue to rejoice over the things that she is learning. Father, we pray that you may connect her to a community, help her, Lord, to, uh, to have a sisters who will walk with her and encourage her and build her up. And we pray that you would make the path uh, clear before her Father, we pray for for Dover Baptist Church. Father, we pray for the saints who gather there on a weekly basis. We pray that they would stand in the truth. We pray that you would make your people heralds of the truth. And we pray that you would sanctify your church in truth. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray specifically for, the, for the, the states in the West as they are experiencing just raging wildfires. Father, we pray for all those who have lost their homes, for those who have lost, lost their places of living, for those who are having to start all over again. Father, we pray for their encouragement. We pray for their comfort. We pray that they would receive the resources that they so desperately need. Father, we pray for the firefighters who are putting their lives on the line to control these fires. We pray that you may protect them. Father, we pray that you would send rain from the skies, Lord, to put out these fires. Father, we pray lastly for all those who are who are business owners, for those who are managers and oversee employees and staff, Father, we pray that you may give them great wisdom and knowledge in all that they endeavor to do. We pray that you may make them wise stewards of all that they have been entrusted with, and we pray that you would help them to be heralds of your truth in in the workplace. Father, we lift all of these things up to you because we believe in you, because we trust in you, And because you are a sovereign God and you can do all things, Lord, more than we can even, what we can even imagine. So we trust you, Lord, for all these things, and we conclude, Lord, with the, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Our passage this morning is John 18, verses 33 to the end of the chapter. So, John 18, verse 33. So, Pilate entered his headquarters again. And called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would make your word alive. That is not something that I or nor anyone can do. But we pray that you would do it because we know that you can. So we pray that you would illumine to us what your word says, and that you would impress gospel truths into our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did Jesus come into the world? And between you and I, we can give a list of various different reasons. And I think for, most, for the most part, those reasons would be good and right and accurate reasons, right? To, Jesus came into the world to die in our behalf. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us to God. Jesus came into the world so that we might receive forgiveness and eternal life, and so on and so forth. Right, those are all good reasons. Maybe you've heard of John Piper's book, but he's written a book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. Okay, 50 reasons. It's the same, essentially the same question as why did Jesus came into the world. Now, here in the passage, Jesus Jesus himself tells us what is his purpose for coming into the world, and he says to bear witness to the truth. It's incredibly helpful for us that we have four accounts of the gospel in the New Testament. Not only do they together give us a clear and comprehensive picture of the life of Jesus Christ and a comprehensive picture of the gospel, but they also help to kind of uh, authenticate the truth of the gospel message. Right, So when investigators are looking into an incident, right, they are looking for several different eyewitnesses and they're looking to, uh, to interview each one of them privately, individually, separately, and to hear kind of their, their telling of how the event occurred or how the crime was committed. Right? And when there are discrepancies between one person to another, well, then that's a good thing because it shows that there is actually validity to what they're saying. But when you have multiple witnesses saying exactly the same things without error, without any discrepancies. Well, then you, what you have there is a case of collusion. At some point before the investigation, all these eyewitnesses came together and decided to tell the same story, which makes their, which makes their, their, their storytelling or their witness unreliable. We have the Gospels, right? We have four Accounts of the Gospel, all written by four different individuals, two of which were not even disciples of Jesus Christ, but they 're written by four authors, authors, written for uh, for different purposes, written to different audiences, and yet they all tell us they all teach us the same truth. And the thing about this particular truth is that this truth, right, it doesn't come from them. It wasn't a truth relative to them. It doesn't, it's not a, a truth like what we think of today, but it's a truth that's relative to you or relative to me, that it comes from ourselves. But this truth that they decided to proclaim and wrote down for us didn't come from them. It came from above. Right, when you believe this truth, when you understand this truth, well, then this truth is life-transforming. So then as we come to the passage, let's first ask ourselves, do you care about the truth? So Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night, delivered over to Caiaphas, the high priest, and brought for questioning, and then finally delivered to Pilate. So they're ready to present Jesus, hear the charges, and they want Pilate to execute Jesus, right, a public execution. They want him to be crucified. And so now it's up to Pilate to decide what is he going to do. So Pilate needs to investigate for himself and try to figure out if the charges, right, if the if the if the, if the punishment that they want is actually warranted. And so you could say that Pilate is after the truth. He needs to understand what's going on. And that's the job of any investigator. Now, what's helpful about this particular investigation is that, well, Pilate isn't a Jew, right? He's not going to be easily persuaded by the Jews. He doesn't have a a soft heart towards the Jews. In fact, if he's like most Romans of the day, he didn't particularly like the Jews. And it's not to say that he was eager to execute Jesus, who was a Jew, but I think what he was was intending to do was give a fair trial, try to understand what what is actually going on. So Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate begins to ask him some questions. And eventually, right, we'll know that if Pilate wants to have Jesus released. And so Jesus, or Pilate begins to ask Jesus some questions. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Right, notice how he asks that question. He doesn't say, well, this is the accusations, Jesus. Are they true? Are they accurate? Or this is what the people are saying that you say that you are the king of the Jews. Are you saying that you are the king of the Jews? But instead, he just comes right out and says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you actually a king? And Jesus responds with another question. he says, well, do you get this? Do you identify me in this way? It's essentially what he's saying. On your own accord, or are you just simply repeating what other people are saying about me? So then, Jesus is trying, I think, to discern whether or not Pilate is sincere with his question. Whether he's actually wanting to know if Jesus is a king or is he not. The Pilate, again, being the governor, having, no, having no, dis, no favorable disposition towards the Jews, doesn't really care what the Jews think. That's why he says, oh, well, am I a Jew? They're, they're, the answer is no. Right? Your own people delivered you over to me. I don't really care what they have to think. In fact, the truth may not be what they think it is. But I'm after the truth. I want to understand what the truth is. So what have you done, Jesus. And Jesus answers, but he doesn't answer that second question. He answers, goes back and answers the first question in the affirmative. And he says, in a sense, he says that he's a king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. So Jesus says he is, in fact, a king, though he says that his kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus, right, he answered the question. He wasn't trying to give Jesus uh, Pilate a, this, uh, a, his silence or to deny the accusations made against him, but he answers, he is a king. His kingdom is not of this world. But in saying his kingdom is not of this world, at the same time, he's defending his own innocence. Right? Because remember, the Jews are expecting a king. When Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Messiah, well, he's proclaiming himself to be a king. The Messiah is an anointed one. The Messiah is an anointed king. And so the people expected a king coming from the line of King David from the past, Israel's greatest king. And that this new king would be one that would usher in a new era for Israel. That this new king would be a political figure. That this new king would be a religious authority that would would take... The Israelites away from the Roman oppression. And so when they realized that Jesus wasn't the king that they wanted, well, they used Jesus' self-identification of Messiah against him and says, well, he's saying that he's the Messiah, which means king. Well, you can't have a king and you can't have a Caesar at the same time. He means to oppose Caesar and all of Rome but if Jesus was the leader that they wanted well then he obviously wouldn't be in this position in reality the true enemies of Rome were actually the Jews right because they wanted and desired and expected a religious leader to free them and to oppose Rome so in, in his saying that he that his kingdom is not of the world Jesus communicates that he has no intention of disturbing the peace and he has and much less does he have any intention of opposing the empire of Rome. The kingdom of Christ is not of this world, but it is the kingdom from above. It has come down to us from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. Hence why John the Baptist, the one who came before him, and Jesus himself both preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? The king has arrived. The king is here. And now is a time for everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and come and turn and follow the king. In John chapter 3, verse 3, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, a religious teacher, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless one is born of the Spirit, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven, can never see that kingdom. Unless you believe in Jesus Christ, unless you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can never be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You can never see the kingdom of heaven. Only those who are born again by faith become citizens of the heavenly kingdom. So Jesus has come into the world, has brought the kingdom into the world, but he's not intending to take over the world, but instead he's intending to take over, to overcome the sinful human heart. Jesus intended to save you and I from the depravity of our sin and to turn you from your wicked ways, to save you from the wrath and justice of God and to be the king of your life. When Jesus had his eyes set on something much bigger than being the king of the world. Jesus had his eyes on accomplishing something much more difficult than ruling over the world. Jesus had his eyes set on something much more rewarding than those things. Jesus had his eyes set on saving you and I from the justice and the wrath of God because of our sins. That is what he was after. The kingdom of Christ is not of the world, it's not coming from the world, but the kingdom of Christ is in the world, presiding over every person that follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has come into the world to save people from their sins. And then Jesus also, as we read in the passage, Jesus tells us his purpose in coming. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The purpose of Christ coming into the world is to bear witness to the truth. He didn't come into the world to speak to the truth about all things, to tell us everything that there is. He didn't come into the world to answer all of life's questions, but he came to proclaim the one truth that really matters, the one truth that changes your entire life, the one truth that if you believe in will change how you see everything in life. Christ has come to bear witness to the truth about God, right? That there is a God in the heavens, that this God has created all things, that there is a God who created you and I. He came as a witness to the truth about who we are, and that truth is, right, that we are sinners that we have offended God because of our sins, that we are faithless, that we are disobedient, and that we are in desperate need of salvation. And Jesus has come into the world to bear witness to the truth about salvation. In John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life that no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus has come into the world to proclaim the truth about who he is, that he is our means of salvation, and that there is no other way of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. He's come to tell us about the truth concerning his life and his death and his resurrection. So Jesus came as a preacher of truth, and yet Pilate didn't really seem to care all that much about the truth in a, dismiss- in a sort of in a dismissive manner, I think. Pilate just kind of responds and says, what is truth? He doesn't really care to know what the answer is. He doesn't expect an answer. In fact, he didn't stay long enough to hear an answer from Jesus, but he simply just goes out back to the crowds. If Pilate had just remained a little bit longer, if he had just been a little bit more curious in a personal way to understand what truth is, he may have discovered that the person standing before him was the personification of truth. If only he really cared about the truth, the truth behind the truth, the truth behind what is actually going on in this investigation. You should care about the truth because the truth is a matter of life and death. This truth determines your eternal destiny. The second question the author, Herman Melville, known for writing Moby Dick, had also written a different, another story called Billy Budd. It's a story about a young sailor, a young handsome sailor named Billy, who was recruited by uh, by a Navy captain to come into the warship and be a part of his crew. Now, Billy was the kind of guy that everybody likes. He was charismatic. He was generous, uh, genuine. He was kind. He's just the kind of guy that everybody on the ship liked all with the exception of one person who ended up kind of becoming the antithesis of Billy Budd, and that was that man by the name of John Claggart. He never liked Billy, probably because Billy is everything that he is not. But one day, Billy is walking with a bowl of soup that he trips and he spills on the ground. And he continues to walk, and then John Claggart tiger comes from the opposite direction. He's walking, and he sees the, the soup on the ground, and he discovers that Billy's the one who dropped the soup, and for whatever reason, he takes this as a, as a provocation. He takes this as a personal offense to himself, and from that moment on, he just hates Billy, and there's just this animosity brewing between this, these two guys, Until so eventually... John Claggart goes to the commanding officer of the ship and accuses Billy of mutiny, of treason. He wants to come against the entire ship. He wants to come against the commanding officer, which is a crime punishable by death. Now, the commanding officer, he was favorable to Billy. He knew Billy and actually had become kind of a, a mentor to Billy. And he also knew that there was animosity between these two guys and that John Claggard didn't like Billy, and so he had his concerns and his doubts, but to be fair, he wanted to do an investigation anyway. So he did. He brings in Billy. He questions him. Now, Billy's greatest weakness is that he stutters. So as he's mumbling through his answers and as he's trying to get the answers out, he's stuttering, and all of a sudden his arm shoots out, hits John Claggard in the side of the forehead. He drops to the ground, hits the ground, and he dies like a man and officer just witnessed a man killing another man what does he do what is he supposed to do what would you expect him to do now it was a custom for Pilate to release a prisoner during the passover now where this custom came from or how it came about we have it's kind of a mystery now, there's speculation that it might have been kind of in mock of the Jews because as we, if you read the Old Testament where well, they had strict laws and there was, you know, if somebody committed a crime, well, they, it was required that that person be punished for their crime. And so to have a criminal to be set free during the Passover kind of goes against what the Jews stand for. But regardless, they have this custom of being able to release, Pilate releases a, a, pa- a criminal during each and every year during the Passover. So, Pilate presents Jesus and a man named Barabbas, where the passage tells us the robber. Now, if you read the other gospel accounts, you have a more comprehensive picture of who Barabbas is. But well, you also learn that Barabbas is not just a robber, but he's also guilty of insurrection. But he's also a murderer. Now, Pilate may have been trying to be shrewd intentional and probably in, in, in picking the most, the, the most heinous and the, the worst criminal that he has in his prison and presenting them before the people and giving them a choice. Would you rather have the murderer or would you rather have this guy who just proclaims himself to be a king? Now, logically, right, anybody with a brainstem would probably say, well, I would rather have the guy set free who is just proclaiming himself to be a king than the guy who is a murderer. And to our shock, and to Pilate's shock, that's not what the crowds choose. They chose Barabbas instead. So Pilate, his plan fails, intending to release Jesus, right, in comparison to Barabbas, who had very insignificant charges against him, is actually the one who is chosen to be kept as a criminal, Right, it doesn't make any sense. Right, if you care about justice, then you will not give an innocent man over to death, and you will not let somebody who's guilty go free without paying the penalty for his offenses. Right, that's that's what justice does. That's what we expect with justice. That is what true justice is about. Right, in the case of. Billy and John Claggart, right? At once, he was an innocent man. But then he kills a man. Well, then what do you expect justice to do? In our case, we have Jesus, an innocent man, and we have Barabbas, a guilty man. What would justice require? Justice requires that an innocent man go free and the other one pay for his crimes. But that's not what happens, right? There's an exchange that happens. People choose the guilty man over the innocent man. You see, Jesus was providing a way for true justice to happen, for the justice of God to take place. But because behind that particular courtroom, so to speak, there was another courtroom, the divine courtroom of God that required justice, which requires us to pay for the penalties for our sins. So there's, Barabbas, like we are Barabbas, and then there's Jesus, the innocent man. To which one will God pour out His justice upon? And Jesus makes the exchange that I will take their place. I will be Barabbas, and they will take my righteousness. Right, that—that's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus takes our place, just as Jesus took the place of Barabbas, so that through him, through our, through our believing in him, we may receive forgiveness of our sins so that his righteousness is credited to our account, so that our guilty offenses, so that our criminal ex- uh, charges are expunged, and we are declared innocent and free and uh, can go. So the implication of this great truth It's like you repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Especially if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet. Believe and trust, repent of your sins, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're a Christian, the the implications are the same. Repent and believe. Repenting and believing, right, sometimes we live our lives as as if those are just passive things, things that we just kind of wake up with and that just happen, but those are, I mean, those are, those are verbs. Those are actions, right? Those are things that, that we are proactive in doing. We believe and we repent, right? And, that's not, and we don't do it just once, right? We do this every day of our lives, believing in the gospel, repenting because we believe in the gospel, right? It's all a choice we make every single day to follow the Lord Jesus, to glorify him in our life whatever it is we're doing, wherever we are, no matter what time of day it is, repent and believe in the gospel, right? It doesn't get old. It shouldn't get old. So in in 2008, and I expect that hopefully you won't judge me for my unwise use of time and my money, but back in 2008, when the second Batman movie came out, I went out to go see the movie like probably like, like six or seven times, no, no lie. And I'm not talking about like waiting for the DVD to come out. Like I actually went to the movie theater sometimes twice in one week to go see the movie. Now just think of the effort that you have to do to go to see a movie. I mean, you got to get up, you got to get dressed, you got to get in the car, drive your car, go to the theater, pay 12 bucks, however much it was, see the movie, and then get in the car and drive back home. Right, There's a great deal of effort that you have to do to go see the movie, and I did that like seven times for the same movie over and over and over again over like a four-week period. Now, I, I knew the story. I knew the characters. I mean, I knew the lines. I knew how the story ended. But every time I went to go see it, I never got bored. I enjoyed it every single time. Sometimes we treat the gospel like if it's last year's headline. Oh, it's old and gone. Well, it's something new. And the gospel never gets boring. Believing in the gospel, repenting of our sins, that never gets boring. Listening to the truth, learning the truth, living our lives according to the truth, that never gets boring. Because we love the truth. We relish in the truth. We rejoice in the truth because the truth is our salvation. And that truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And so we, so this, Believing, repenting, right? That's, that's repenting of our sins. That's loving one another. All of these things is what, it's what the gospel does in our lives. It transforms our lives so that we are no longer the same. Right? It's, like, it's the joy of having, it's the joy of once being considered a criminal, but then being declared innocent and righteous and free, right? That, that joy never gets boring. But we want to live out in that joy every single day of our lives because that is a reality, right? For us who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so rehearse the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. Rehearse the gospel to yourself every single day. That's your hope. It doesn't mean that it's going to make life completely easy, but it is a reminder that this life isn't the end. It's a reminder that there is hope. And it is a reminder that the Lord Jesus has not left you or forsaken you. And one of the great things that we get to do as a church, the visible reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can get to take communion and so I'd love to respond in that way with you. So if you uh, came in, well, I'll say some things before I get, before I get to uh, the bread and the cup. But in the gospel, or this, this communion, right, is instituted by the Lord, given to us so that we may remember the cost of our salvation that jesus endured the suffering the beating the crucifixion the death on the cross so that we might be saved and that through his blood we receive a new covenant of grace that we come into by faith this covenant of grace it reminds us that we are forgiven of our sins that we are one with jesus christ that we have eternal life with jesus christ and this communion, this, this supper, the Lord instituted for us also points us forward to the day when Jesus Christ returns, which is a guarantee, right? That is the truth of the gospel. Christ will return, take up his bride, which is us, all of his people scattered across the globe. He will take them up with him. And in heaven, we will celebrate with Jesus Christ, taking this wonderful banquet meal together as brothers and sisters with Christ, right? We look forward to that day. We pray for that day. We long for that day. We pray that he would hasten that day. So we do this to remind us of those glorious truths and that this is for those who are joined to Jesus Christ by faith in him. If you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if your life is characterized by the repentance that Jesus Christ requires, then you are welcome to take this meal with us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And also have also received baptism, of course, which is important. But if you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your life is not characterized by sin, then I, we would just ask that you would not take this meal with us. This is no, uh, we're not looking on you at, at, as a, at, in a judgmental way. But I would ask you to consider what you've heard this morning. Consider the gospel and consider and pray about giving your life to Jesus Christ so you may be spared and saved from your sins. And so if you haven't received one of these yet, there are some in the back. Please uh, take one. So what I'll do is that uh, we'll take the bread together and then we'll take the cup. Then I'll conclude with the prayer and we will finish with singing a couple more songs to worship the Lord. So if you would, you can start opening up. 1 Corinthians 11:23 Tells us for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take this together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of getting to preach your gospel, getting to hear your gospel, of getting to to sing your gospel. Father, we ask that you would continue to press the truth of the gospel into our hearts. Help us to have the joy that comes from the gospel. We know that it doesn't mean that life will always be filled with happiness and peace. In fact, if we look at the life of Jesus Christ, especially his suffering, we know that his life was anything but peaceful. But he endured the cross because of the joy that came after the cross. So we pray that you would fix our eyes on the gospel, that you would fix our eyes on the joy that comes, that is waiting for us in heaven with you. May the gospel of Jesus Christ give us the endurance, the strength to persevere, and help us to rehearse the gospel to ourselves, that we may never grow tired of the gospel. May we never grow tired of living out the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand in worship.
1: In the dark. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory.
0: have always sung this morning. This can be our only song. You give life
1: In green. Through this morning. So
0: And as we come to our time of benediction, hear these words. May this be our prayer to the Lord. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O my God. My God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Go forth, brothers and sisters, in peace, knowing that Christ has died for you and He has revealed to you the truth that there is a God in heaven and He loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you. You are dismissed until we return again. Lord willing.